topic this morning is hunger and thirst. By the way, that's why we didn't have coffee and stuff in the lobby. I hope uh, there wasn't an uprising or anything. I, 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 I need to get my caffeine fixed too. So let's just suffer through this together. And after the service, we'll go and raid the coffee bar out there. But I love food. Actually, when we, when we go out to eat and I go to a place that, uh, that I've been to before and I liked what I had, I'm always getting the same thing. Food is too important to experiment. I'm telling you. See, my wife always tries something new and then she, half of the time she ends up not liking it and eating half of mine. And uh, anyway, have you guys ever really been hungry? Anybody here honestly, truly ever been desperately hungry? One, two, three, four, some of us have actually really been hungry or thirsty. Did you ever have to ask yourself where your next meal would come from? Anybody? You know, our kids often say when, when, they, when they're hungry, when they want to eat, they say, Mom, I'm starving. Actually, I used to say that too. <laughs> and my wife always tells them, no, no, no you're not starving. <laughs> you're hungry. You're not starving. So now our little one, our four-year-old, whenever somebody says they're starving, he goes, no, you're not starving. You're hungry. <laughs> no, we're not really starving in this culture. Or very, very few of us are. I remember my first trip to a country with desperate poverty. I was working with, with a sports ministry in Germany, and we were planning a trip to Armenia and uh, doing something with, with sports, with kids that live in the streets and, and, um, and, and distributing food and, and other needed items. And it was the first time in my life, this is what, three, four years ago, four, five years ago, that I was confronted for the first time with real, real poverty. With, with people who, who literally had nothing. I remember one family um, who had lived in a, you know those shipping containers that you see on trucks or on trains? It was a mother with eight children that the father had long walked off who lived on the floor in a container like that with no, I mean with nothing, absolutely nothing. And my heart just broke for the poverty that, that was there. I don't know. I mean, food and, 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 and nourishment is so important. And on a, on a completely different level of this, I've recently watched a couple of, of uh, series of, or seasons of Survivor. And, uh, and you know, they, they're out there in the wilderness, and they literally have to fend for themselves most of the time. And they eat raw clams, and they catch rats and burn and, and, and cook them. And it's pretty, it's pretty disgusting. Sometimes they go days without real food. And then they have a reward challenge as a team. Anybody seen this? Where they, where they have to compete against, against each other, and the reward is some kind of food reward. And you wouldn't believe how they jump on that. And it's literally like animals. They just dig into food. Hunger, real hunger, very few of us have really experienced that. But maybe you have longed for something, craved for something other than food very, very deeply, where you've had a a hunger not for food and nourishment, but a hunger and deep, deep desire, a craving for for maybe a relationship uh, to work out, maybe for for healing, desperate to to find healing for for an ailment or disease, Maybe, maybe desperate for relationship to be restored, desperate hunger for forgiveness. Maybe you've experienced that or a deep, deep longing for justice. There's different ways to hunger. And this morning we're continuing our series called The Opposite Way. 
where we're looking at Matthew 5 in the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, really Jesus' first time of public teaching. And this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let me pray before we dive into this. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you again for the privilege of being here this morning, of having the freedom to come together like this and worship you, to hang out with each other and build relationships and, and to look at your word and allow you to speak into our hearts. And I pray that that is what would happen this morning and that, that um, we would get a better understanding of what it means to be blessed if we hunger and thirst for righteousness and what it means to be filled if we do that. So I just pray, Lord, that you would have your way this morning and that you would speak to our hearts through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to set this a little bit into the context, this whole passage of, of what's going on in Jesus' life. When you go to seminary and you learn to preach and, and, and teach scripture, one phrase that, that was drilled into me was, context is king. Christian. Context is king. You know what that means? It means don't take a verse in scripture and just grab it out and disregard the context that it is given in. And, and we do this all the time. You see people do this all the time. Just grab a verse because it seems to fit a, an issue and, and, and throw it out there. But what happens if you do that or could happen, you, you go through scripture and, and you, you just open it and you read, oh, Judas went and hung himself. Interesting. You flip again and, and somewhere else it says, go and do likewise. Well, that taken out of context, taken out of context can lead to really bad things, right? So it's really important that we look at whatever we look at in the Bible, that we look at it in its immediate context. For example, in this situation, who is Jesus talking to? Who is he addressing? Who are the people sitting there listening to him? What's their context? What, is, what situation is he speaking into? What did he do right before and possibly after? And what happened right before this passage is that Jesus, he had just started gathering his disciples, the people that would follow him closely for the next three years. And he's traveling through Galilee, a, a region in northern Israel that he grew up in. So a region he would be and was familiar with. And he started to heal people. And we see this all through, through the Gospels that he was healing people. But specifically, he, went, he traveled through Galilee healing people. And the word spread, word by mouth. And people even in Syria heard about him. And, and lots of people would grab their loved ones who would be sick or dying or have other ailments and bring them to Jesus with a desperate desire for them to be healed. And so people started following him as a result of this, just following him around, hoping that, that he would touch them, that he would heal them. And so he finds himself surrounded by all these people who have a desperate desire for something to receive from him. And he stops. And that's when he teaches this, this sermon. And so it's to those people that he says... Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst. 
He's talking to people who, who were either sick or had people bring them because they were sick. He's talking to people, and you've got to understand, someone who was sick in that culture, whether they were lame or blind or whatever they had, in that culture back then, it was clearly viewed as a, as a punishment by God. Something was wrong with you if this happened to you. This was destiny, and it was, it was a result of something you or someone else did. That was a clear understanding. So people who were sick, who were either social or, or health outcasts, economic outcasts, were viewed as something's wrong with those. And, and they were ostracized and unfairly judged. And so it's to those people and in that context that he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are, who are sad and, and who are downtrodden in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. He says, blessed are those of you who suffered, who mourn their own, their own disease or their own destiny or that of others. Blessed are those who are meek and, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst. See, Jesus is speaking into real life, physical issues of the people listening to him. Yes, there is, a, there is a spiritual aspect to all of those. And this is really what Jesus is doing with this whole passage. He's taking real-life physical issues, and he's addressing them and legitimizing them. But then there's also a spiritual parallel to all of those, as we've seen through the last three that we've looked at. And so here he, he addresses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I know this morning we're depriving you of of coffee as, a, as an illustration and setup for this, let me just tell you, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not about not having coffee this morning and, and uh, fulfilling our craving for caffeine. Jesus is talking about people hungry for justice. He's talking to people who are desperately seeking things to be made right things to be made righteous because he's talking to people who have suffered injustice and unrighteousness and he's, he's talking and he says blessed are those of you who hunger and have a desperate longing and thirst for things to be made right have you ever been wronged really wronged probably more of you than have truly suffered hunger have you ever been wrongly accused of something my kids are all the time by me <laughs> but do you remember how desperate they get I, I i can literally just see my little boy kenny's face when something's gone wrong one of my tools is missing and i'm going crazy he says kenny you took it and he's like no i didn't and the, the the desperation of being wrongly accused and fearing consequences when it wasn't him usually it was me putting it somewhere where it shouldn't be or my wife but have you have you ever really been accused wrongly accused where it had bigger consequences than misplacing a tool have you ever had to really fight for justice? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody and had to suffer the consequences of that? Do you remember the, the, the pain and the passion that that brings forth, the passion for things to be right, for truth to come out? Anyone experience that? Anybody can identify with that? All right, two or three, good. That passion for justice, I think, can be very, very powerful. But not just in our own life where we have suffered injustice, has any one of you ever been really passionate about the injustice that others have to suffer? 
You know, last week during the message, we just watched a short clip of Schindler's List. Remember that? I mean, can you watch a movie like that and not walk out outraged and angry at what's possible, the injustices that are possible in our world, what people will do to other people? Just this last Thursday, I was invited to a, a private screening of a movie that's coming out in, in August. The pastors in the area were invited to watch this. It's called The Help. It's a movie about um, black maids, black household helpers in the, in the South in the early 60s. I tell you, one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. You got to see it. I guess that's why they invited me to it, because they knew I'd tell you that. You've got to go see it. It's called The Help. I took my, my daughter with me, Clara. She's 14, right? Yes. And, you know, we adopted Kobe a year and a half ago, and he's, he's black. And when we walked out of that movie, <laughs> Clara said, Dad, if anybody ever mistreats Kobe because of his color, I'm going to break his nose. And I'm not going to regret it. Now, I didn't encourage breaking noses. But you know what? I loved her passion for justice. Her passion for what's right. And her broken heart for those that are mistreated. That's the context that Jesus is talking into here. You know, there's lots of social justice causes that we can get behind, that we can allow God to break our heart over. Some are the, the growing poverty in the world. And we just saw some pictures from, from the Philippines. And I don't know if you, if you were watching Angie up here when, when those pictures came up of the girls that she, was, that she was working with and how she started tearing up because her heart is broken for the needs of the girls in the Philippines. The growing poverty, there's, there's an unbelievable world of sex trafficking out there. There's an AIDS epidemic that kills people and, and leaves millions of orphans in this world. There's preventable diseases causing death in the third world that, that would be so easily solved if we would just get behind it. The lack of clean water in large parts of the world that causes people to, to, to die because they don't have clean water to drink. That's what broke Dave and Lene Fueling's heart here at K2. So they started a ministry called 3 for 5 to provide clean water in the world. Lots of causes that we can get behind that I think God wants to break our hearts for. And the question is, do these things still touch us? Or do we live so protected and in so much comfort and we, 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 we don't even want to see all that so that we don't get uncomfortable in the way that we live? Are there things like that that stir your heart? That, that cause that kind of passion that, that you can't but want to do something about it, that you can't but actually do something about it? Do they stir a hunger for righteousness in you? A hunger for what is right? And a hunger for, for making right what's wrong? That's a big, big part of what Jesus is talking about here when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the immediate context that Jesus is speaking into here. And yes, Jesus came to make us primarily right with God. That's why he came, he came to make you and me right 
with God to make us personally righteous so that we can again enter a relationship with the holy God. And we'll talk about that a little bit here um, as we go on. But even in his own life and in his ministry, if you, if you ever go and read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that his right relationship with the Father, and if there ever was somebody who had a right relationship with God the Father, it was Jesus. His right relationship with, with the Father played itself out primarily in him meeting the needs of those that are out, outcast and down and out and needed help. You will see that his, the gospel that he preached is clearly you need to be right with God. But the way that primarily works itself out is by us seeing the needs around us, allowing God to break our hearts for the things that break his heart and doing something about it. In James it says, loving God, our faith without it working itself out is dead. And so you will see that Jesus largely lived out and acted out a social gospel where he met the needs of the people that were outcast. He, he didn't hang out with, with the religious establishment. He hung out with those that were shunned by the religious establishment. If you look through the Gospels, he, he healed the sick. He met with the Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were outcasts. Samaritan women were the scum of the earth. And Jesus, the Son of God, took time to sit down with her at the well as she was drawing water. He, he met with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, a Jewish man who had sold out and was working for the Romans, taking advantage of his own people. Tax collectors were the scum of the earth in Jewish culture. And Jesus comes to town and all the dignitaries are waiting for him, rolling out the red carpet. Say, come, come with him. He says, no, I'm going with him. And he sat down with Zacchaeus, changed his life completely. We see him at another point where it says he, he went and had, had dinner with sinners and prostitutes. And the, the religious establishment confronted him and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I, a doctor comes for the sick, not for those that are healthy or think they are. Jesus' life is full of meeting the needs of those that were outcast, the social rejects. That's what stirred Jesus' heart. What stirs yours? You know, the word used here for hunger, blessed are those who hunger, it's not talking about, oh, mm, there's a little grumbling in my stomach. I think I need a snack. I need a cliff bar. <laughs> What the, the hunger he's talking about is literally the word, the Greek word is pinao. It means being famished, craving, starving. What it means is desperation. Desperation. He says, blessed are those who are desperate to see things made right. Blessed are those who are desperate to see things made right. And Jesus had that desperation. He didn't just have it then, he still has it. And I think one thing we need to seek is that, that we see the world through his eyes. There's a great, great song that I almost wish we would have sung this morning. So Mary, maybe you can whip this up before we end this message. <laughs> no, don't. It's called Give Me Your Eyes. Do you know that song? I think it's Brandon Heath. I just want to read the chorus quickly. 
says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. Give me your eyes so I can see. Jesus wants to give you and me his eyes for humanity. And he wants to give us much more than that. He wants to give us his heart and he wants to give us his spirit so that we can have his eyes and see the needs. So that we can have his broken heart for those that are broken hearted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled Jesus is not only talking about justice in this life here. He's also, I think, talking about spiritual justice. I think he's also talking about our hunger and thirst for our lives to be right with God, for our lives to be and become righteous. In Romans, it says, I, I don't have the exact quote here right now, but in Romans, Paul says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one. Elsewhere in Romans, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think it's pretty all-inclusive. That means you and me, none of us are righteous on our own. All of us have sin in our lives. All of us have a need for forgiveness. All of us have a need to be made right with the creator God who loves us and wants to be intimately involved in our lives. That's the other aspect of what Jesus is talking about. We all, whether we know it and feel it right now or not, we all have a desperate need for forgiveness that only God can give. All of us have a desperate need for his forgiveness and his freedom and his grace in our lives. Problem is that so often that need has become suppressed because we try and fill it with all these other things that can at best be a band-aid. This is what Psalm 32 says about our need for forgiveness. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man and I'm going to add all woman. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those whose, whose sins have been forgiven, who have covered up and, and are not counted against us anymore. Are you craving for that? Are you craving? Do you have that hunger that he's talking about, this, this starving, this desperate longing and craving for God's forgiveness for the things in your life that aren't right? Do you have this desperate craving for the freedom that comes from experiencing forgiveness? The good news is that the verse continues here in Matthew Five six it says, "Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for they will be filled." See, what God wants is is that hunger for Him, and this word "filled" here is not just a like here here. This is 
going to be just enough for you, just, just to get, carry you over for the next meal. The word filled here literally means to, to gorge yourself, to be completely satisfied. See, I think what God wants to do when we have this hunger and thirst for him, for the hunger and thirst to be right with him, God literally wants to gorge you with him. He wants to give you all of himself. If we hunger for him, he will give all of himself to us. And when he gives himself to us, he also gives us his heart and his eyes for the world around us. He gives us his eyes for the hurting in our lives. He gives us his eyes for those who don't know him yet, who still have that desperate need for forgiveness and, and freedom from him and his grace. But what I love most about this verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What I love most about it is that it doesn't say, blessed are those who try really hard to live righteous lives so that they can be filled. It doesn't say that. If it did, we'd all be in trouble. If it did, it would mean it's up to us to produce righteousness. It'd be up to us to do the right thing and our eternal destiny would depend on it. It says he fills, he's satisfied, he gives all that we need. He quenches our hunger for him with an endless all-you-can-eat buffet of his grace. That's what he does for you and for me. And he quenches our thirst for righteousness with the host of his love and grace. All God wants from us is acknowledging that desire, is, is that hunger to be right with him, and he does the rest. You know, I think our hunger, and hear me out on this, I think our hunger and our desire for righteousness, our hunger and desire to be right with God is actually more important than us living righteous lives. Here's what I mean with that. Look at Moses, for example. Look at David. Both of them praised probably more than anybody else in all of scripture, besides Jesus, but we'll, we'll set him to the side right now. But Moses and David praised as two of the greatest men of God who ever walked. David's called the man after God's own heart. David was an adulterer. David killed the man or had the man killed who was married to the woman he committed adultery with. Moses killed a man out of, out of an anger about social injustice, but he was a murderer. And yet God used them. See, so what, what I'm not trying to say is excuse behavior. That's not what I'm talking about. But our righteousness with God doesn't depend on what we do. And more importantly, our righteousness in God's eyes, is not negated by us making mistakes. Your righteousness in God's eyes does not depend on you and what you do or don't do. What this tells us is, in spite of who we are, in spite of our life circumstances, in spite of mistakes that we make, in spite of how many times we fall, 
He satisfies. He fills. He meets that requirement. Is that good news or what? And there's a great story in David's life that to me illustrates this sense for righteousness that God wants us to have. And at the same time, the brokenness that he wants us to have in our hearts towards needing him. I already mentioned David's adultery with Bathsheba. He saw her from his palace and he was burning up with lust for her. So he brought her in and he committed adultery. She got pregnant and then he had her husband. He was his, his army officer and he had him put in harm's way so that he would be free to have Bathsheba to himself. And then Nathan, the prophet Nathan, who kept David accountable as a king, approached him. It's in Second Kings Chapter 6, I think, somewhere early Second Kings. And Nathan comes to him and says, David, let me tell you a story. There was a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had lots of cattle and sheep and lots, everything he needed and more. The poor man had one little lamb that he loved, that had grown dear to him. The rich man is getting visitors to come and needs to put a meal up, but he doesn't want to kill any of his hundreds of cattle or sheep. So he goes and takes the poor man's sheep and kills it and feeds it to his guests. And Nathan said, what do you think should be done to that man? And it said, David just blew a lid, literally. I mean, he was like, well, that's not right. How could someone do that? That is unbelievable. And he actually says, the man who did that deserves to die. That was his sense of justice. How could somebody who has so much take from somebody who has so little? I mean, his, his social injustice sensor just went through the roof. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, that's you. That's what you did to Uriah. And David was crushed. Was crushed and he says, God, what have I done? I have sinned against you. And he sought forgiveness and, 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 and to make it right between him and God. See, what was important to God, was it important to God that Dave made a mistake? Yeah, it was important to him and he confronted him with it. And, and once confronted, here's the key, it broke David's heart. I think that's what made David a man after God's own heart. Is that when he, when he realized he had gone against God, his desire to make it right, his desire for God's forgiveness, his desire to be right with God again took over. And that's the good news for you and for me because you will make mistakes and I will make mistakes. But God's going to be faithful that if our heart seeks righteousness, if our heart seeks forgiveness and to be made right with him, he will forgive and he will give freedom. You know, a large part of, of what God did in my life early this year in February, and I, I think on April 10th, I, I told you guys about what God had done in my life and the healing that I had received. If you didn't see that, you might want to watch it on, on our website. A lot of that came out of my broken heart for being right with God. My, my desire to want God more than I wanted anything else. And the result was just beautiful, beautiful freedom that he brought into my life. And that's what he has for you. When we are right with God, when we pursue our hearts to be right with him, and that's a process that will continue throughout our lives, then he will give us his heart 
and he will give us his eyes for the world around us. He will give us eyes for the pain and suffering in the lives around us and he will give us eyes for the people who don't know him yet. He will give us eyes for the people and break a heart for the people whose hearts haven't been made right with him yet. And one thing is very clear throughout the whole Bible that loving God can never, never go without loving people. Loving God can never go without being broken about the the desperation, the pain and the suffering of the people around us. I want to ask the band to come up. And I want to read a, a quote to you that just this morning when I came into the office to just think through this again and pray. I, I pulled up Facebook, which I periodically do. And somebody from this church gave me permission to quote her here, Susanna Metzger. She's a, a, a crash member. She, she serves in Adventure Canyon. And this was her status this morning. She says, I wish I could save everyone from their pain and struggles. It's a good reminder that only God can do that. And my role is to plead their case and love them through it all. Isn't that great? Read that one more time. I wish I could save everyone from their pain and struggles. It's a good reminder that only God can do that. And my role is to plead their case and love them through it all. And I would probably add and and love and pursue God through it all. You know, my prayer for me, for my family, and, and for you, for this church is that we would continue to develop an increasing an increasingly desperate hunger for God's righteousness in our lives an increased desperate hunger to be right with him and to pursue him deeper and deeper because the result will be in scripture so clear the result will be that he will break our hearts for the things his heart is broken for that he will give us his eyes for humanity to the point where we can't help but do something about it let me pray lord i thank you so much that none of this depends on us I thank you that you're the one who initially draws our hearts, that, that you draw our hearts with a need for you, with a need for forgiveness, for reconciliation with you, a need for a relationship with you, the living God, the creator of the universe. Thank you that, that all we need to have is that hunger, that desire for you, and that you will fill us. And Lord, your word is so clear. That if we say we love you, but don't love others, that we're lying. Lord, love for you always shows itself by love for others because you are consumed with love for humanity. Your heart breaks over the injustices of the world. Your heart breaks for those who hunger, those who thirst, for those that are sick, for those that suffer injustice. Lord, would you give us your heart as we pursue you? And would you give us clear calling and direction? Would you give us passions for the things you want us to act upon? And would you give us the strength to do it so that this world may know that you love them? In Jesus' name.